Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Retail Transformation Show. My name's Oliver Banks, I'm your host. I am a change and transformation specialist and I work with retailers to drive complex change forward and to transform and evolve operating models, opening up new opportunities, driving sales, saving costs and improving profitability. And thanks for tuning in today. This is episode 211, number 211. And why is this a special episode? Well, today we celebrate the podcast's fourth birthday. Yes, that's right. The Retail Transformation Show has been going now for four years, which is really incredible. And I suppose I wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you for continuing to support the show, for your kind words, for sharing it with your colleagues And also a big thank you to all of the awesome speakers that have been on over the past year and over the past four years, to be fair. We've had so many great people sharing their expertise and their thoughts and their viewpoints and hopefully delivering a ton of golden nuggets for you. And here on the Retail Transformation Show, to celebrate the podcast's birthday every year, we take a little look back at just a few of those golden nuggets from the past 12 months. So that is what we're going to be doing today. We'll take a look back at the past year's worth of episodes and pulling out some of the best bits. And as always, I do love to hear from you as well. What have been your best segments? What are the golden nuggets or key takeaways that you have had from the different episodes? Do let me know, reach out. I'll put my email address and LinkedIn profile on the show notes today, which you can find at obandco.uk slash 211. And you'll be able to get all of the episodes that we're talking about today. But just very quickly, before we do kick off, this Golden Nuggets episode is split into two parts. So today we're going to be thinking about change and transformation. And then in the next episode, episode 212, we'll be thinking more about retail and omnichannel. So make sure you catch up with both. I enjoy putting these together and I always get great feedback. So I do hope you enjoy it. So perhaps you want to grab a notepad, grab a drink, sit back and listen. And to kick off, we're going to be going to a fairly recent episode, episode 203, where I was diving into fundamental and incremental transformation. Should you be doing fundamental transformation? Or is your business a better fit for incremental transformation? Well, I'd argue that you need to be thinking about both types. Fundamental transformation is a longer play. You need to be thinking further into the future. There is inherently more risk, so you do not want to put all your eggs into one basket. And there is plenty of opportunity to make improvements along the way. So incremental transformation is important as well because you don't want to stay still for a year or two years or even longer, perhaps. So then the question evolves. 
if you are taking on both types of transformation, what's the right balance for you? Can you bring them together? Well, I would say, yes, you absolutely can. You need to have a clear strategy and a guiding light or a North Star because your overall changes need to be coherent. And it's so important to get that balance between fundamental and incremental transformation. As you heard, both of these need to align to a clear strategy, a clear vision. And that was a topic I was talking to Sarah Friswell about in episode 173. We were talking about designing omni-channel journeys. So here's a clip from Sarah Friswell, CEO of Red Ant. I think you can walk into these, you know, transformation projects or, you know, North Star of what you want to do. But actually, if you went round the room and asked the people who, you know, responsible at that point, what does this project mean to you and what do you expect? <laughs> you could, I think, in some situations get 10 different like outcomes. So I think really being clear about the why. I think, mm. you know, whether that's a whiteboarding session or like everyone putting their post-it notes on, on, you know, again, it might be virtual at the moment, but, you know, on a, a, a virtual whiteboard and really nailing together why you're doing this. Because I think sometimes there's a really small group of people who really understand why they're doing it, but it doesn't always cascade down. And where that also is not just about that, you know, designing the journey, where that's really crucial is if you haven't really defined why you're doing this, when it comes to adoption, really with the most important people in the process, really with the sales associates, if they don't understand why, or you haven't, that hasn't been part of your, you know, internal elevator pitch, they <laughs> don't really know why they're using it. Like you, there's training and you're going through the motions, but if you can really tap into, you know, there's two sides, obviously, isn't there? Why this really is valuable for the customer, but why it's valuable to you as well as the store associate. Mm. And it's so easy to bypass that. The importance of aligning to a strategy was another topic that came up again and again when I was talking to Jeff Roberts in episode 180. We were talking about building Slack into your operating model. And in this clip, we're talking about how you can build your business around really what it is you do. But where it really comes to life, I think, is that you have to bake it into the organization design. Mm. So it has to come down into the what bits are we ultimately going to hardwire into the business? You know, we think that we absolutely fundamentally need a physical estate. And so that's what we're going to do. And that physical estate needs to be serviced. And so we need people. They need technology. We need a, we need a process flow that works through there. And then what are the bits that we think there's there's opportunity to either partner on? What are the bits that there's opportunities to potentially short-term contract? What kind of capabilities should we be building mm -hmm. as we go through? So I think to bring it all together, I think it really is a case of, you know, where do you play? So to, to steal Roger Martin's work, you know, of where do you play and how do you win when you get there? I think the really thinking around what under what circumstances might take that, might that come to life? And then really what needs to be true to make it real? Mm. And then baking that into an organization design that enables you to execute against what this looks like, but then leaves enough spare capacity yep. to respond to emergent things or to even generate some novelty. It's going to take a slight twist to the conversation here. One of the topics that has been really important this year has been around decision making. It's a topic I've been personally very interested in. And so here is a clip 
from episode 174, where I'm exploring what to do when there is no right answer, and in particular, the realization that there is a decision in front of you. So the first particular thing that you must do when you are in a place where there is no right answer is that you must realize that you have a decision in front of you. Now, maybe this sounds obvious, but there are many times where people just don't realize that they are facing a decision, even though they are trying to decide what to do. And if you are facing a decision, then the most important thing to realize is that a decision will be made with or without you complying. And the default decision that will be made is to do nothing, to continue on as you are, choosing the status quo, essentially. Now, there are going to be times where that is okay. In fact, you may also decide that doing nothing is actually the best option. But equally, there are going to be times where doing nothing, making no decision, and letting that default answer be the decision is perhaps the worst possible choice. So once you realize that there is a decision in front of you, you need to consider all of the different options with that default option of doing nothing being the natural answer. That is what is going to happen unless you choose to do something differently. And continuing with that theme of decision-making, I did a couple of episodes focused in on decisions. Here's the first one, episode 195, The Anatomy of a Decision. And then there needs to be a period of debate. Now, this could be a group debate or actually an internal debate, thinking about all of the different factors that fall into this decision, this choice. And also, it's important that during this process that you recognize that making a decision to go for a particular option is equally deciding not to go for other options. Now, perhaps that's other options that are on the table, but also you may be eliminating other choices, you know, especially if, for example, there is finite resources available or there is a headspace capacity that is reached or you are making an organizational prioritization. So saying yes to one thing says no to many other options as well. Still in this debate stage, before we get to the actual decision, we also need to recognize that sometimes people have opinions, quite strong opinions sometimes as well. (laughs) People have opinions that they may not be qualified to have an opinion on. And politics, I have to be honest, is the perfect example of this. How many members of the general public, you and me included, genuinely understand about the decisions that are being made, whether it's around a general election for a president or a prime minister or a choice around Brexit, for example? There are so many different factors that go into choosing the right option. And actually, does the general public truly understand the intricacies of all of those different factors? No, of course not. And then in the following episode, episode 196, I again continued the theme and thought, what are the lessons we can take and learn from world-class decision makers? I researched from world leaders to specific professions to different circumstances. 
And this clip is looking at the armed forces who are making decisions that quite literally are life and death. And there's some really interesting lessons both here and of course in the wider episode as well. The US Marine Corps view themselves as decision makers. Their training material states that as Marine Corps officers, we are primarily decision makers. Our weapon is the unit we command. We decide on a course of action and then clearly communicate that decision to our unit. Our Marines translate that decision into action. So really interesting thinking there. Primarily decision makers is how they view themselves. And actually, they recognize two modes of decision thinking, analytical and recognitional. So analytical, firstly, this is where you have time to think. You can justify the decision, gather data, take input from subject matter experts. And recognitional is a crisis where there is no time. And it requires lots of experience and lots of courage as well on the part of the decision maker. And ultimately, they recognize that it allows you to maintain initiative against the enemy. So you don't procrastinate, you don't miss out on that opportunity and you don't get stung by the threat. And a key tool to help with decision-making against both of those types of decision thinking is that of wargaming, where they practice all scenarios, they do drills, they play out different situations, different outcomes, what could go wrong, how could the enemy react? And they have backup plans. And wargaming is all about having a plan that can adapt, knowing what you are going to do in any given situation, such that that recognitional uh, decision thinking is a little bit more automatic. When things go wrong, the Marine Corps believe that what's happened is that someone has fallen in love with their plan. We'll take a pivot here and zoom over to episode 171, where I enjoyed talking to Howard Tierski in an episode called Letting Avatars Guide Your Transformation. And whilst we were talking really about understanding your customers in this episode, this particular clip is really zooming into the fact that many people struggle to understand complex ideas, and that might offer you opportunities to communicate better and to bring in more stories about your customers. Here's the clip. If you've ever read a McKinsey report, you know, that had 27 charts and graphs and lots of statistics in it after you're finished, you know, what did you walk away with? What did you remember? Maybe a lot, but for most people, not so much. And to, to operate effectively as a, say, customer centric company, there's a lot of different types of people yeah. who can benefit from the insights into your customers that you gain through research. That includes people developing products people thinking about, uh, meaning by products and that kind of, I mean, things like your website, your mobile app, things like that, but also people who are doing merchandising, also people who are doing marketing, also people who are in the call center, providing customer service, people on the, on the shop floor who are interacting with customers every day. If we have some insights to say, Hey, you know, we need to bear in mind that people in this category who are buying shoes have some different needs from that category. That kind of insight is valuable to a lot of people in your organization. So you want to share the, that, that information and you want to do it though, if, if, you, if you just got everybody who works in your, in your stores on a Zoom call and went through 60 slides full of line charts and bar graphs, <laughs> you know, you may find that you didn't have much of an impact at all. 
Following on from that, it was fantastic catching up with Spider-Man comic book writer B. Earl in episode 191. We were talking about how story opens up retail's great adventure. And there are loads of lessons how you can use the concepts of story and storytelling, both for your company when you're trying to appeal to customers, but also for your transformation too, where you may be trying to appeal and explain ideas to colleagues as well as customers, and perhaps even shareholders and other stakeholders. So here's a clip from episode 191. It's about dynamic storytelling, and it's about creating sort of an engine, much like we do when we create, you know, for television cartoons, for instance. Mm. Um, and I think cartoons are, are really a great example because, you know, your, your audience is usually 10-year-olds, right, 11-year-olds. Their attention span is very short. You have to really grab them, engage them, and get something exciting, dynamic, and that pushes them uh, to want more. Now that yep. sounds like a bad thing. I sound like a, <laughs> the pusher man here, but you know, and I think that's at the end of the day, like any business wants, you know, to create a dynamic, exciting, evolving storyline that is built around an incredibly simple engine, because the engine is going to be something that has to be evergreen. Mm. And it's going to have to keep creating story after story after idea after idea. Like, for instance, if you're a company that has multiple products, each one of those products is, is a byproduct of that engine. Yep. And, and each one of those products has a story unto itself. And each one of those products has characteristics to it. So if you kind of build it out in a very kind of mind map sort of way, it becomes very branching. Mm. And... You know, where we are right now, I think, when it comes to e-commerce and the internet, and, you know, we're sort of at the place of these slightly static stories. They're a bit dynamic because of social media, yep. but even social media allows only for one layer of interaction. Yeah. And I think that we take it to the next level, this whole kind of buzz of the roadmap to the metaverse. And then in episode 209, it was fantastic catching up with Lucy Eckley, a communications expert, and we were talking about powerful change communications. And in particular, I loved this golden nugget. This is from episode 209. So much communication is broadcast and we think it's it's one-way stuff. You know, leaders or the organization kind of updating people on their agenda. The flip side really is that it also needs to be what employees want to hear about. It's not just what leaders want to, 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 to tell people. So we can't just rely on a broadcast system to brainwash people, no? Sadly not. I mean, you know, you obviously you can try that. You can try that, but it won't. It won't be effective. And I think if you look at a sort of traditional, a, a, a dictionary definition of communication, it's actually about exchange of information. So you know, ah. it never has been that one way. It's never been that one way broadcasting but so much it's, it's some you know often it's easier, isn't it? It's just easier to go right. Here's the message. Let's just get it out there. Yeah. It's harder harder for leaders to have to listen back and get the questions and get the challenges. Yeah, I and mean, that, that's really good because when you think about communication as that exchange, that proverbial two-way street, suddenly it takes on a whole different form, right? We're not talking about an email blast or, you know, a webinar or whatever, blah, blah. But actually, how do you get and enable that two-way street, that return 
And how are you going to listen to that, as you say? How are you going to then respond and react? And, you know, suddenly thinking about communication as an exchange is a huge golden nugget for people to take away, for sure. Yeah, and I think at all stages of transformation. So one of the things I see so often is that people, when it comes to change and transformation, think about communication very late in the process. Keeping with the theme of communication in episode 193, there's another solo show where I explored the power of writing it down. So here's one of the tips I shared in that episode. Perhaps the biggest tip is to keep it simple. Simple language, simple words, simple phrases. Try and avoid big, complex, clever sounding words. Because I have to be honest, I think it confuses people more than makes you look clever. Don't feel afraid of writing things down just as you would literally say it, as you would explain it. You know, maybe you have got that fear of a teacher from school days giving you a bad mark. But actually, the goal here is not about perfect spelling, perfect grammar, whatever. It's about communicating the idea. It's about getting clarity. It's about making sure that things are not forgotten. It's about being able to prioritise all those benefits that we spoke about earlier. This is the aim of the game here, not to create a perfectly crafted written artefact for for you and others to bow down and (laughs) worship as expert use of the English language or whatever language you are using. Keep it simple. Keep it conversational. Keep it useful at the end of the day. Ah, there have just been so many golden nuggets, haven't there? And such a range of topics. And we're not even done for this episode yet, by the way. So good job in keeping up so far. If these episodes are piquing your interest and you think, actually, I want to listen to the whole conversation or the whole episode, then what you must do is head over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 211. That's obandco.uk slash 211. And you'll find references to all of the episodes we're talking about today. And remember to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing as well whilst you're over there to keep your finger firmly on the pulse and think about how the retail market is continuing to evolve and what the new trends and themes that are continually emerging, what they are, how they're working and who's doing what. So head over to those show notes and sign up for free. Getting back to the golden nuggets, in episode 182, I was talking about how you can overcome stress with science and in particular understand the emotions of transformation. And the whole phenomenon of fight or flight is known as the stress response. Now this is a prehistoric, instinctive survival mechanism that is in all of us. Ultimately, the limbic system is what stopped our ancestors getting eaten by wolves or bears or any of the other dangers that used to exist when we used to live in a cave, right? (laughs) And our brains still work with this stress response in exactly the same way. But it is relative to our modern day life. A peak in our normal life is still a peak. So our brain treats it in the same way. That's the reason why we can overreact to everyday niggles, a traffic jam, missing a train or a plane, or someone cutting you up as you drive, 
or some other tiny, tiny frustration that happens in our everyday life. But when it comes to change and transformation, we are naturally opening ourselves up to new situations. And in these new situations, things could go wrong. We'll see dangers, we'll experience risks, we'll face potential failure and all that that potential failure could bring along with it. That stress and concern and worry is a fairly natural part of change and transformation, in my view. And whilst these stresses can be useful to help us stay alert and find the best option, they can also be very damaging to us. And sticking with the theme of the emotion, in episode 163, it was fun catching up with Lou Banks and talking about how you can learn to have conversations that matter. And this clip is about negativity bias and how that could be holding us back. We all experience something called negativity bias as well, which which means there's something called the event-related potentials in the brain, which are voltages activated by uh, an experience. Mm. I'm simplifying it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and research has shown that experiences that elicit what we would call it rising vibe, low vibe emotions. Uh, most people would call them negative emotions, but we avoid that language. We, we talk about low vibe emotions. Mm-hmm. But experiences that don't feel good for us will drive a high voltage response in the brain. So in a way, we'll stamp the neural pathways in a much stronger way. PTSD is, a, is an extreme example of that. That means we are more likely to remember, well, we will remember experiences that have felt negative or not good more than experiences that have felt good. So we might have had some conversations that we were afraid to have or we were finding them difficult to have, but we had them and they went well and we felt good afterwards. Mm. We only need to have one experience that feels not great and we will unconsciously kind of delete the ones that did. So that's another thing on top of social pain that gets in the way. And the only way, the only way we can start to feel better about having you know, conversations that are more real, that are addressing the stuff that really needs to be discussed, even though it's scary, is by doing it. Mm. Because the more we do it, we become more comfortable with the discomfort. And we remember how we felt afterwards, which is 99% of the time in our experience, better. And that whole fear of failure, which I suppose is connected to negativity bias, is of course a massive constraint on innovation. So in episode 177, I shared ideas to help inspire innovation across your organization. And this is a very real challenge. And so as you think about how your culture can be innovative, you need to think about a number of the different topics that we've spoken about today. How are you going to use greenhousing, for example, to not strangle new ideas with tough requirements and expectations right from the very start? How are you going to enable your people to have more fun so they can access their inner child? They can come up with those creative ideas. How are you going to help people flip between expansive and reductive thinking? How are you going to empower people to innovate? How are you going to celebrate failure? How are you going to feed your mind and your organization's mind with inspiration? And most importantly, how are you going to not punish new ideas that don't work? Now, let's be honest for a moment. No organization 
will ever admit that they punish new ideas that don't work. No leader will ever say that they intentionally disqualify people for coming up with innovative thinking, right? That that doesn't come through. So play with me here. What happens if you and your organization is one of those that do, but don't say so, don't realize? How are you going to even realize if you are creating a culture that fears failure? And what is it that you would need to do to overcome that if that was you, if that was your organization? Because like I say, no one intentionally does this. So do just take a moment to think, well, what if? What if that was me? What would I need to do? And whether it's innovation or transformation, it's important to be able to manage your own energy and encourage those around you to manage their energies positively as well. This was a topic I was talking to Fiona McDonnell about in episode 168. We were talking about thinking differently and redefining success as we explored her book, Two Mirrors and a Cheetah. A fantastic read, by the way. So this clip is from episode 168. If you start to learn where you get energy and where you lose it, you give yourself a bit of a power and it sounds really wishy-washy and it, it, you know, I used to think that when people talked about, hey, energy. But in each interaction <laughs> you have with somebody on a day, just think, do you walk out of that meeting or that phone call or that, you know, Zoom with somebody feeling boosted of energy or do you come out going, poof? Mm. And when you, you know, each interaction or activity in your day, when you start to see which ones boost you and which ones drop you down, you can see which ones to leave alone. Yes. You know, and it's little things like that when you understand how you yourself work, but you have to pay attention to them or have a look and see before you really gain control of those nuances. And that's, I use my energy as something that I, you know, as a guiding factor so that I know if I'm forcing myself to do something or be somebody different, I'm going to start feeling it. And I suppose for me, things like stress or frustration, they don't come from me having far too much work to do or being busy. I love those things. But having a lack of choice or feeling in a dead end or just, you know, being stuck under a hundred levels of things that I'd rather jump to the top and get done. Mm. That's where I feel it. And so learning to recognize the things that don't work for you are where you can then say, okay, I must be forcing myself into being two different people rather than just dropping it again. So those are the little things which I use and I'd encourage Mm. anybody literally just to take the day they listen to this podcast and just pay attention to the next few hours, which are those sorts of things for you. And when you think you have no choice or control in something, if you look closer, you've probably got a few more choices than you thought, but you don't see them as choices. Yes. Also over the past year, it's been fantastic to hold productivity and transformation. The event I held in collaboration with Rethink Productivity back in September 2022. It was a fantastic day of content and making connections where we really found out, actually, we're in this together. We face the same challenges and there's so much to get after with regard to collaboration. And in episode 204, I was talking about my takeaways from the event, from productivity and transformation. Here's a clip from that episode, episode 204, which also sheds a light, no pun intended, onto the finale of the event. I loved every moment of Ian Shepard's closing keynote 
where he was discussing where to go from here. And in particular, making a huge point about connection, which felt so ironic when there was a massive power cut in Birmingham, the city where we were hosting the event. It wiped out the slides. It wiped out the AV equipment, the microphone, the speakers. It wiped out the Wi-Fi. It wiped out the lights. And suddenly, we found ourselves in the darkness, in quite an intimate atmosphere. But Ian did not bat an eyelid and continued straight on. The show must go on was the vibe. And boy, oh boy, what a metaphor for retail, given the current challenges. An example that Ian Shepard, the chair of Benson for Beds, led us through perfectly. We can't stumble. We can't get distracted by what is going on around us. Ian had a wealth of experience to share and impart to the audience to make sure that they took the maximum value from the day. And he did not let the power interrupt him. And I think in retail, when we think, what is it that we are doing for customers? And how do we make sure that we do not get distracted, that we stay true to that mission and deliver for customers no matter what? I think that is a massive moment of leadership, a massive example to us all, as I say. And I would encourage you to take that same steely resilience into whatever it is that you do. Don't be phased. Don't be put off. Be focused. Be caring for your customers, for your audience, whoever that audience is, right? In episode 194, I was talking with Christine Russo, a retail tech expert, and we were talking about how to focus on tech trends and avoid the fads. Really, don't get distracted. Here's the clip. One of the jobs of the end user is to determine if it's a fad, a trend, or a strategy. Oh, I like that. And so, yeah. When you say, when someone is coming, has a solution and wants to come forward and get people to engage with it. And honestly, whether it's on the B2B or B2B to C column, it's very important that you make sure that you clarify you are not a fad and maybe it's a trend because trends can be your friend, but in fact, it can be a strategy. So it's like, what are you looking at a trend maybe is something you get into sooner and then you see if it turns into a longer term sustainable solution. And I feel like Tesco sort of does that. They get in somewhat sooner and they, and they, then they pull out if it's not good. Yep. But uh, on the retailer side, having a great strategy to know what solutions you're looking for and constantly vet and seek those solutions, because I'm sure they're getting, <laughs> I know that they're getting bombarded all the time. And data has been another big theme over the past 12 months and over the past few years. But that term data can alienate people. It was a topic I was talking with Paul Banks about in episode 162, as we explored the evolution of loss prevention. Take a listen. I think there's, there's another side to think about is that like not everybody gets data and that's not a reflection of intelligence. That's, you know, that's the way people work. Some people just don't and will never get data. Some people um, intrinsically understand it without even trying. That's two ends of the spectrum. Mm. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, not everybody is capable of being profit protection or understanding that data to the point where they can use it for that level. 
but that shouldn't be used to sort of denigrate the guys who who don't get it because they're just they're valuable in a very different way to your point you know you look at the customer experience angle of things that's a very important angle for any business and probably more so now than ever before and that same theme also came out in our final golden nugget for the day and it's coming from episode 175 number 175 I caught up with Ben Salmon as we embraced e-commerce metrics. Take a listen. So I think, one, we need to be better at being more commercial and connecting things to outcomes. And I, and I know that's easier said than done, right? There's certain things that happen have to happen mm. there. But also, I think we've got hugely capable, intelligent data science and analytics teams. But some of the things, we, we end up focusing on the wrong things mm. and making it really difficult for those that aren't analytical to know what to go and do. So we have to take large volumes of data, and I'll give a brilliant example in a a sec, large volumes of data, understand what's happening, so make some observations. Those observations then need to be translated into insights, and only then when those insights are taken, they need to be interpreted into actions, things I have to go and do. And quite often people, you hear the word actionable insight, I call it factual observations. It isn't actionable insight because you send it to me in a report that shows me 32.6% of people have looked on this ad and clicked through on it. What? So who gives a crap? Like, What am I going to go and do with that? If you said to me, what's interesting is 32% of people clicked on that ad, but they were from a mobile audience and, on a, on, and they tended to buy T-shirts and they tended to spend £15, I can then go in action and go, great, I need to change that campaign creative. I need to show T-shirts. I need to show T-shirts within a basket, re- uh, sorry, a price range of between 12 and 14 pounds yep. or 16 pounds. So I've got a bit of basket stretch there. And I need to target that on Facebook because that works better than Instagram. That is an actual set of things that I can go and do something with. Mm. So it's about making it really easy for the teams that are either not analytical or commercial going to go and do the stuff, whether that's a change of media campaigns or targeting, change of creative, change of merchandising, change of promotions, Mm. change of content. And really making your data actionable is such a great strong takeaway to end on. And I suppose it would only be fitting having shared insight from all of those golden nuggets over the past year to think about what's the action that I'd like you to take. And I think there are three, really. Firstly, if you have enjoyed these clips and you want to go back and listen to the full episode, maybe you've already listened to it and you just want a refresher as well, by the way, then do do that. All of these episodes are on the show notes at obandco.uk slash 211. That's obandco.uk slash 211. So that's the first action that you should take away. Go and listen to those great episodes. Action two is to think about and make a note of, using the power of writing it down, right? Make a note of what has really resonated with you. Which of these golden nuggets from today's episode, or any other episode for that matter as well, by the way, which has really resonated with you. And I challenge you to write it down, write down the action. What is it that I've taken away and what am I going to do about it? And then the third action is that if you would like help with your transformation, if you need support to drive your complex change or your program forward, then reach out. 
and you can work with me directly or with the team at OB & Co to program manage your change, to drive your transformation project, and ultimately to bring your strategy into reality. Email me oliver.banks at obandco.uk and we can talk about the different ways that we can work together. So those are the three actions I'd like you to take away from this particular episode. And of course, remember to tune in next time as well, episode 212, and we'll be continuing the proverbial tour de force of golden nuggets from the past year, thinking about different retail trends, looking at omni-channel, and thinking about how you can boost up your customer experience. So I look forward to joining you for that one and on other episodes of the Retail Transformation Show. Thanks for listening so much. Catch you soon. Bye.